Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Sem Says Podcast. It's a podcast where seminarians say what's said at the Sem. I'm your host, Alex Brown. Now, today I'm joined with my esteemed classmate, Anthony Albanese. Anthony, welcome. Hello, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> I'm really happy to you could join us today. Yeah. I've wanted to have this conversation for a long time. Anthony is our resident linguist, I'd call him. <laughs> <laughs> I was taking uh, inventory before we started this podcast. You've studied six languages at least, right? Yeah, something like that. Something like yeah, that? Yeah, Not yeah. more. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm fluent in Spanish, yo hablo espanol, and I'm very proficient in Italian. And, of course, we all study uh, here at the seminary uh, Greek, Latin, and I also took uh, Hebrew as well. Took Hebrew? Okay. So, yeah. And, of course, English. Of course, we, English. Yeah, English yeah. is your, your native language, right? That's right. Okay. That's Very right. good. Yeah, yeah. Very good. So I was hoping in the podcast episode we can delve into the nuances of language, how that affects spirituality, how that's affected you in your life, kind of why you're into it, just really explore the whole gambit. Sure. But to get started, so tell us a little about yourself. You're studying for the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. What did you do before entering seminary? Why did you enter seminary? Who is Anthony Albanese? Right. So I didn't really start thinking about the seminary uh, until like 2011. And really to go back even further, in 2008, I had graduated from Villanova University with a bachelor's in Spanish and education. And then I started teaching Spanish uh, in 2008 in Ben Salem at a middle school in Ben Salem. And, you know, the first couple of years, I also got my master's in education from the University of Pennsylvania. And then really in my third year, which was 2011, I really, something really important happened. I was working with the students, working with the, the teachers, working with the families and everything. And I just felt the, the need for Jesus, really, okay. in, in their lives. And I felt Jesus asked me on my heart, who do these students, these 7th and 8th grade students, who do these students really need? And now, I was a Spanish teacher, of course, at the time, and Spanish teachers are very noble, noble profession, very necessary to have them. We need to be able to speak Spanish, I think, especially in this country, more and more as, as years go on. But I just felt he was asking me maybe to go a bit further or a different route and maybe become a priest and be Jesus for people like these students and, and the families and everything. So in 2011, I basically went on my first come and see retreat here at the seminary. And it just wasn't the right time, though, for me to enter for a variety of reasons. So I went back to teaching. And then actually in 2012, I left Ben Salem and I thought I wanted to be a medical doctor. Oh, okay. So then I went to Jefferson for two years Realized I didn't want to be a doctor after I took the MCAT, uh, the test to become a doctor, and then went back to teaching. And then this is really the pivotal part. In 2014, I was at my parish. I had just lectured for my parish mass on Sunday. And the priest had come up to me afterwards, not knowing that I had previously discerned the call. He said, have you thought about the seminary? And I looked at my dad and I said, yeah, I have. So my dad and I knew that that day was the annual Christmas concert and open house. So I said to my dad, right, let's, let's go. Let's, let's check it out. So I, I met with the current vocation director, Father Steve DeLacy, mm -hmm. and the rest is really history. I, it took a, a year for the application to go through, but ultimately I started in fall of 2016, the spiritual year. Okay, sure. And it's been just a blessing and everything. And 
And the languages really have been a tremendous part of my life, not just before the seminary, but in the seminary too. Like a couple of years ago in the seminary, so this is my fifth year in the seminary, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago I was able to start a Spanish table and an Italian table. So in the refectory where we have our meals, basically the cafeteria, we used to have a table of conversation in the various languages. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, cool. One day would be Spanish, one day would be Italian. There was even, I think, a German table at some point. Yeah, I think that was, uh, wasn't as long-lived as the <laughs> other. <laughs> For whatever reason. Yeah, For whatever you, reason. you were a part of that, weren't you? No, German? No, my German is, is not up to snuff as it, uh, as it no, ought to no, be. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So the Spanish table and the Italian table were tremendous things and everything. We were able to get conversation going. You know, I, I kind of liken it to linguistically sparring. Okay. You know, when you spar, you're just kind of going at it in karate, let's say, working on your skills as a holistic approach. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I see the tables. But, yeah, so Spanish has been tremendous. Just this past fall, I was able to take really my first Spanish class in a long time. It was pastoral Spanish with Father Gus Esposito, rest in peace. Mm-hmm. And it was a tremendous class because there's only four of us, and it was an upper-level class, and we did things like role plays. We did things like different listening activities and different speaking activities based on videos that we would watch and listen to. Mm-hmm. It was really tremendous. And then I just it's kind of going out of order here, but um, <laughs> back on spiritual year, uh, which was my first year, so that was 2016-2017, we have apostolates, right? Mm-hmm. And apostolates, of course, are those field assignments that you may go to parishes or soup kitchens or different different areas where you go do some kind of service and pastoral work. Right, for, just to get a, a feel for the ministry going forward. Exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. So for a spiritual year, my parish assignment was Father Gus Paleo. Do you know Father Gus? No, but I'm not from the diocese. That's so. right, that's right. He's just tremendous, absolutely excellent uh, mentor and everything. I went there for Tuesdays, I think it was, for his parish in St. Patrick's in Norristown. Okay, sure. We got to speak a lot of Spanish with him and everything. And he used to be a Spanish professor at Columbia University. Oh, okay. So he, yeah, he's really, really good at Spanish and everything. Well, there's there's other languages too, like you said that I that I've studied and everything. Of course. If, if you're listening and you're not familiar with the seminary program, all seminarians take Latin and Greek at least a year. You took two years, didn't you? Two years of each, yeah. Two years of yeah. each, because you went through the college. Right, right. Right, right. I went through pre-theology. You know, we had to take one year each of uh, of Greek and Latin. And I really, I really just, I, I'm a sucker for language. <laughs> yeah. I just, you know, you know, because I remember in philosophy, when we studied in philosophy, they said about learning for the sake of learning. Right. Not for any particular end, but just for the sake of itself, the end in itself. So that's how I see languages. I see it as like a hobby. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm not necessarily like the best linguist in the world by any means, but I just enjoy the, the communication of languages. So Greek was really good. Latin was really good. Latin, of course, was great because after having studied Spanish and Italian, they're rooted in Latin. Yeah, you already had the jump on it. <laughs> right, 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 right. They kind of have that romance language mm-hmm. uh, thing going on. And then, of course, I think it was last year, last spring, so a year ago, I guess. Sure, yeah. I took uh, Hebrew with Dr. Kelly Anderson. That was tremendous. 
I mean, you talk about tough language to you, learn. Yeah, going from the lo- romance languages to the whole backwards. Oh, yeah. No vowels. <laughs> no vowels. Dots as the vowels. Right. Characters and everything. Like, oh, that, that was tough. That was tough. But it was really enjoyable, though. I really appreciated the class. Of course, there was only three of us in the class. So you had um, to do your homework. That's yeah, what I'm hearing. Yeah. Right. But I tell you, and you know this too, Alex, you know, with a lot of our classes, the professors bring in Greek and Hebrew of words course, yeah. and stuff. So it is nice to be able to maybe at least pronounce the words that they're bringing in, like, you know, berit, which was the covenant mm-hmm. that we learned, for example. So Greek, Hebrew, and Latin, you know, it made the sense nerdy of me, I know, <laughs> but, but it, it just sounds exciting to explore the scriptures in the various languages and how it's different and and right, we were mentioning this before we went on. Knowing the different languages can definitely be beneficial, more fruitful even in, in praise and worship and liturgy. That's right? right. So, for example, in the English Mass, we have a priest at one point in the Eucharistic prayer, he says, the mystery of faith, right? Well, the, the Spanish Mass, there's really two options that the priest could say. Este es el sacramento de, de nuestra fe, or este es el misterio de nuestra fe. So this is the sacrament of our faith. This is the mystery of our faith. So he can really say both possibilities, either one of those possibilities in, in the actual Mass in Spanish. And we talked about this, right? Mm-hmm. So the word mystery is kind of directly related to the word sacrament. You probably could do a whole series of podcasts on why that is and what we learn in class. Exactly. Needless to say, the mysterion... In, in the Latin, and sacramentum in the Latin are, are very related to each other, suffice to say. Do you know other languages? I took three years of Irish Gaelic in high oh, school, wow. which is a great experience. So you're able to speak a little bit of it? So I haven't spoken anything since I entered seminary six years ago. Hmm. So it's a lot of it's rusty. I still try to keep up whatever basic phrases, conversational phrases I, I had. At the most, my claim to fame was when I went to Ireland and had a very nice conversation with a very nice fourth grader. Oh, yeah. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. That's so, awesome. So thanks. That was, that, was, that was the peak, my peak study right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can communicate with a fourth You're, grader. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Because they learn it in schools now. They're trying right, to bring right. it back in uh, culturally. Uh, it was lost for so long, being so close to continental Europe, England. That's when I went to Ireland. As soon as school set out, everyone on the street was speaking Irish, all the, the teenagers. Mm. So it's, uh, it was very awe-inspiring to see. My Irish teacher always used to say, language is a glimpse into the psyche of a people. Mm. So, for instance, in Irish, if you say you like something, you don't say that you like it. Of course, it wouldn't be that straightforward. Right. You would say, ismahu, it is good with me. It's a very passive sentiment. And a lot of their idioms are like that. They're passive. Right. You'd say how the world affects you rather than how you affect the world. It just It's different. It shows that the Irish have a very cosmic understanding. Right. Has that been apparent to you in your study of languages? Have you seen like little nuances between cultures? Sure, absolutely. The, the one thing that pops in my mind is the construction in Spanish, me gusta. Sure. Me gusta la manzana, por favor, or por ejemplo. So that's I like the apple. But what you're really saying is the apple is pleasing to me. And that, that kind of like shows like a certain, I don't know if passivity is the word, passiveness to the person speaking. But the subject of the sentence in that sentence is not I. Right. Right? The subject is 
the apple, right? So it's what is pleasing is the subject. Mm-hmm. So that really shows an interesting feature. And I think that relates a lot, honestly, Alex, to the cultural aspect and the religious aspect of a lot of Hispanics, as Catholic Hispanics. Because like we often say that God has graced me. You know, sure, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, God was gracing me in this moment in my life or something. You know, that it's really the subject is God, you know, not us. God loved us. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, not that we loved God per se. You know, obviously our love for God is important. Of course, of um, course. But it's more important, like, again, John three sixteen. you know, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's one example, yeah. Just today we learned that perfect passive participle. Right, for the enunciation. Right, for the enunciation. Right, right, right. Do you remember the Greek? I forget the Greek. Yeah. <laughs> it's a long word in Greek. But that just goes to show you how God was working in Mary's life. The word in English is you who have been filled with grace. Mm, It's what Gabriel says to Mary. It's how he addresses her. So it shows that Mary was conceived with grace, or at least if not conceived as the church is held. In that moment, we see that she has been filled with grace before the angel even showed up, showing that she is a fundamental part of God's plan. That's what it was in English. Right. Right, right. It's just such a powerful way of expression, you know, that we don't always um, maybe readily use in English. Right. Just because it's a different construction. It's just a different way of looking at things. And, you know, it's funny, when I when I used to teach Spanish, the students would often be like, Senor Albanese, why, why, is, why is it like this? You know, why, why are we learning it backwards? You know? Yeah, yeah. Because you know, me gusta la manzana, uh, por ejemplo, is like, from right to left, really translated. And I said, it's just another way of, of expressing it, and that's just the way that the Spanish language operates with, of course, roots in Latin, like we said. Mm-hmm. And I really, like, like I said, I'm really enjoying like a lot of like the scripture classes sure. uh, that have like the Greek involved and everything. And even when we did Theology of Grace with Monsignor McGee, uh, and the other classes we had with him, he brought in a lot of the Hebrew. Mm-hmm. To me, it just enlivens the experience and, and the, the vocabulary and the word usage. So to be able to learn and study in these original languages is a privilege and an honor. Sure. Absolutely. That's like, I remember when I took Greek, we studied Mark, and Mark has a lot of present verbs. Mm. I think more than the other Gospels, Luke, of course, cleans up the Greek quite a bit. Luke is a very professional writer. But when Mark writes, it's a very exciting, very present storyline. So for instance, in Mark, how do I put this? You can express the past with present verbs to make it more actual for you. A popular example is he shoots, he scores, right? Right. Mark does the same thing when talking about Christ, and whenever he makes something present— it usually holds relevance for us in modern day. Mm. So I remember for my final for Greek, I wrote an essay on the tearing of Christ's clothes mm. when it says not that they tore his clothes, but rather they tear his clothes yeah. popularly. And, you know, you left to wonder if they're actively tearing his clothes. What are we denying from Christ now? Mm. What are we taking from Christ? Yeah. Stuff like that, it yeah. can be very pertinent for meditation. Just a, right. a thought for going back to the Greek. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. In other words, without the Greek influence there, we may not have 
otherwise thought of it that way right. or, or just by ourselves or something, you know. And of course, you know, we have a number of Hispanic students, uh, seminarians here. So that, that, that's always a, a rich uh, addition to, to the seminary culturally and linguistically right, yeah. um, and everything. So um, they, they bring a, a, a very nice flair. And, of course, uh, we, we couldn't have it um, this past December but because of COVID. But um, the uh, Guadalupe celebration, Our Lady of Guadalupe. That's always such a special time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, again, of course, Father Gus Esposito was really – integral in planning all of that then it's unfortunate very unfortunate that he had to, to pass mm-hmm. in years past the guadalupe celebrations have been tremendous and and that's another thing so i i think it's really important alex not to separate and not that we are or anybody is but not to separate language from culture right it's you know, very important because they are really intricately tied to each other the culture is expressed in the language and the language is expressed in the culture mm-hmm. You know, I think of, like, in the in Hispanic culture, a lot of times, instead of, like, the sweet 16 birthday for girls, they, they celebrate the, if you will, the sweet 15, or the quinceanera. right. Right. The word even quinceanera is, like, 15th birthday girl or something. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, you could actually call the girl the quinceanera. Okay. Know? That's expressed in the, in the culture and everything and, and the party that they have and everything and the celebration. I think there's – I'm pretty sure there's a religious component to it, too. Uh, I think. Right. Uh, so it would be a little lost on me, but I remember at my summer assignment two years ago, mm-hmm. they had a quinceanera, not a mass, but they got the the family came before the altar and uh, oh, had yeah. for a blessing and, sure. and just a, a little liturgy, I guess you'd call it. Would you still call that a little Maybe. small L liturgy? Yeah, sure. But it was definitely a, came before the altar and had a ceremony with the priest to get a blessing. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, and there's so much so much richness to the cultures of these languages and everything. And um, I think in some of our classes, we looked at um, Hebrew culture and maybe uh, Greek culture maybe right. a little bit. Um, and uh, so that, that just, you know, makes the language come alive, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, uh, for the Greek culture, what we're learning recently, um, Luke begins his prologue, where the gospel, Luke begins his gospel with the formula for a historical narrative. Right. So that pattern of speech in the Greek matches contemporary histories, showing that Luke knew what he was talking about. He presents it like an academic work. So it, right. it's something that a contemporary Greek scholar, uh, an ancient Greek scholar, rather, would read and say, oh, this guy's legitimate. This What I'm about to read is true without, right. any, without any doubt in his mind. Sure. But that's something sure. that you know, we don't really think of, both for taking the gospel for granted, having lived with it for so long, and also it being in English, and we don't have that Greek formula, that Greek academic formula anymore. Right. And, of course, we know that from our Greek studies that the Old Testament Greek is typically called the Septuagint Greek. Right. And then, of course, you have New Testament Greek. And we also learned, along with what you were just saying, that the Greek that Luke uses corresponds to whether it was meant for the Old Covenant or had an Old Covenant flair to it. Right. Versus the New Covenant in the New Testament. And so, like, when he uses Old Testament Septuagint Greek, we know that that's that change, and it was meant, the, the Old Covenant being then fulfilled in the New Covenant. You know, I just think that's really, really cool, quite frankly, that he uses the, the grammar and the Greek and the language to convey these kind of 
religious truths and these historical truths and the two covenants and everything and the one covenant overall. And um, I just I just think that's like better than sliced bread. Yeah. <laughs> high praise there, right? Yeah, high praise, <laughs> high, high praise, praise, high praise. So I remember we were talking in a scripture class how important it is to match what we're reading with the tradition of the church. Our professor had the example of God is now here on the board without any spaces in it, like Greek would be written. Right. So you don't know whether it says God is now here or God is nowhere. Mm. Do you remember when that that was up? So it's important to have the scholarship of the language rooted in the scholarship of the theology and the tradition of the church, both working at the same time so you can authentically read into the ancient texts. Right, right. And quite frankly, you know, I know some people that I know, I'm actually friends with, but have differences with the church and so forth. They say, why do we have a magisterium right. or anything like that? Which, of course, is the, the pope and the bishops in, in union with the pope. And, you know, this is one small example of why we have the magisterium. So they can, shall we use the word interpret? Right. You know, interpret the scriptures and not change the meaning at all in any of them, you know, but just to, to make them more accessible for the rest, for the presbyterate, for the priesthood, and for the rest of the laity. So that's that's really important. You bring up a good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you could give me a scroll of Hebrew and a Hebrew dictionary and five or six years, and I'll be able to get through it. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I <laughs> it'll say something, counting, very, yeah. <laughs> say something very different than what Gautam intended yeah. to have said. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so that's really good. And so, like I said, I was assigned to a Hispanic parish in spiritual year. Right, yeah, getting back to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And who knows, you know, uh, what God has in store, what the seminary has in store. It would be interesting to be in a, a Hispanic parish now that I'm in theology. Mm-hmm. Because third theology, so of course we're in second theology, but third theology, a lot of them are taking a practicum for the sacraments in Spanish. Right. Uh, you've heard of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's that's really really good and really really cool to be able to enter into the you know sacramental ministering in another language. So and of course all of those men are are preparing to become deacons in a short while. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'll be really really good. Yeah, for them. And again, I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> all in good time. All in good time. All, all good. good time. Yeah. yeah. You know, one thing I don't know if people really appreciate, honestly, Alex, uh, this is kind of off off topic with the languages, but, um, you know, the seminary is not, like, the easiest place to be in a lot of times. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I hear things about that. Yeah. I've, I've always enjoyed my time <laughs> you here. you always enjoyed your time. <laughs> and and I, I, I thoroughly enjoy being here as a seminarian. Uh, but, you know, obviously— in any endeavor in life, there can be ups and downs. There could be uh, particular challenges and so forth and so on. Right, right. So I think we all experience that no matter what walk of life we're in. So prayer is so important. And, you know, I've been able to, uh, because of my Spanish, you know, sometimes pray in Spanish. Right, exactly. Um, you know, whether it's the rosary or contemplative prayer or, or, or what have you. So because, of course, I, I think we would agree Jesus knows all languages you know, there's no barrier there, right? No matter what language you speak to, to him. I would be inclined to think that he speaks Latin 
primarily. Oh, primarily, that's right. That's, right. that's, his, that's, that's his first life. That's his first life. Yeah. So yeah, that that's that's tremendous, and um, you know, to be able to not just talk in another language, but to pray in another language—that's really really powerful. Um, you can get the heart of deeper expressions, things you wouldn't usually say, yeah, or it might yeah. sound clunky in in your own language, in your so, first language rather. Yeah, something like Spanish and Italian. It really is like emotional, mm-hmm. you know, and, and passionate, the, the language. And, of course, even just the, the culture of those languages. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you can be really, like, expressive. I feel like a lot of times when I speak Spanish, I feel like the more expressive I am with the language, the, the, the more I'm kind of almost, if you will, accepted into the culture. All right. Interesting. I, I think it's just my take, but, you know, because it's such a powerful endeavor or language you've taken spanish right spanish one year of spanish too one year of spanish mm-hmm. okay okay you, did you take it in high school or i took it here at seminary father Esposito uh, taught us uh, yeah, nice 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 and he was good about teaching us pastoral spanish so things you wouldn't get in a intro to spanish course so like sure. our vocabulary words were parochial curate rectory <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that's why i didn't I, I was wondering whether to take the class in the fall, this past fall, and some guys were like, well, why are you taking Spanish? Because you uh, you already know Spanish. And I'm like, well, you know, but it's the pastoral side. Mm-hmm. You can learn, you can know, like, conversational Spanish. Then there's also pastoral Spanish, par- Spanish in the parish, par- Spanish for the sacraments, and, and that sort of thing. So there's a couple different, if you will, registers or types of of language that you could know. Just because I had a good level of conversational Spanish didn't mean I have a good uh, pastoral Spanish. Level. Sure. Yeah. I, w- I wonder if there's any situations where you could offer comfort in, you know, transliterating your mind. You know, someone's in the hospital or, or comes to you for advice uh, speaking Spanish, and you want to say, like, um, be, you know, uh, be joyful or be at peace. You only want to say something benign like that, but you end up saying something idiomatic that just makes no sense or does more harm than good. <laughs> uh, I can think of, I can't really think of any examples off the top of my head, but like, um, I don't know, maybe say something like you meant to say, be joyful, and you actually didn't say like, be angry or something like that. You know what I'm getting uh, right, at? Yeah, right, yeah. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure the, the expression on their face <laughs> and what they may say to you would probably tip you off whether you said the wrong thing or not. Mm-hmm. That's that's one thing that I've noticed. I mean, just that I've noticed is that, as of course, Spanish is not my native language, right? It's my second language. Right. But the reality is, when I speak Spanish to native speakers, I can't generalize for all of them, but for a lot of them, they just appreciate that I'm trying to speak their their language. You know, more than trying. Oh yeah. Um, they're just they're just very appreciative of that that I would take the time to actually learn their language, you know, especially in a country that, you know, is predominantly English-speaking, mm-hmm. although Spanish speakers are increasing by the year and everything. Of course, yeah. So, yeah, so that's really good. Well, we're actually kind of winding up on the uh, – I know we can keep going talking, oh, yeah, but we're yeah. a little bit running out of time here, kind of sure, winding sure. up. So uh, thank you very much. If there's anything you want to – encourage our listeners to do if you know if you don't have a second language what's something that maybe our listeners can do to be exposed to a variety of languages held in the church or expand their thinking anything you want to leave our our listeners with as a tidbit sure 
Well, there's there's a couple things you could do. If it's a modern language, say like Spanish or Italian, you certainly could uh, use the internet to your to your uh, resources, and you could uh, you know listen to radio in the language. You can read newspapers in the language. You could take classes in those languages. I'm sure Spanish and Italian are very readily able to get classes in as as adults. And then, of course, if it's one of the more ancient languages, like Greek or Hebrew or Latin even, again, the Internet has, has great resources, and you can there probably is even learning classes for those as well. You know, I encourage you definitely to explore those languages, even if it's an introductory class, just to get a taste. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that's, that's how I started. I started with a taste of Spanish. You know, it was a third of a school year in Spanish. And, and then... Here I am after having taught for six years and in the seminary using my Spanish a lot. So uh, just a little taste is sometimes all, all you need to get the inspiration going with what you might be interested in. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't have to like dive into the Summa Theologiae <laughs> and the Latin or everything, you know, unless you really wanted to. <laughs> you could, I suppose. But, you yeah, could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm thinking about making that joke about how Christ speaks Latin? In, in The Passion of the Christ, you ever watch The Passion of the Christ? Sure, sure, sure. When Christ speaks to Pontius Pilate, I think Pilate addresses him in Aramaic, and Christ responds in Latin, which I think is a very interesting. Wow, yeah. It shows the, uh, the universality of, of Christ's person. Sure. So I don't know if you want to—I'm sure. not sure if that, that scene is isolated on the Internet, but I think I'm going to try to look that up later. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Send that to me. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. So. I think that's all we have today. I know we can keep going but don't want to go well into the night. <laughs> right. <laughs> How do you say thanks for listening in Spanish? Gracias por escuchar. Gracias por escuchar. Yeah. All right.